0: everyone, welcome to another episode of VR and Education. Today on the show, we're talking about VR and language acquisition. So on the show, we welcome Michael McDonald, who operates Gold Lotus, a super popular and engaging VR language learning company. Michael has extensive experience teaching in VR. I, I recently met him through an online conference where presenters were pitching their message and their ideas inside virtual reality. So welcome to the show, Michael.
1: Thanks, Craig. Thanks for the introduction. And uh, I think you might be referring to the Educators in VR International Summit. Is that the event you're talking about? That's
0: exactly the one.
1: What a great event that was. Um, I mean, uh, it completely put my, like my time schedule off. I was getting up at five in the morning, going to bed at three o'clock in the morning, but it was, it was wonderful. I mean, never have I had the chance to see kind of or listen to so many speakers. Um, so yeah, it was great to kind of uh, know that you were part of that as well. And you, you gave a talk yourself. So it's interesting times for everybody.
0: I agree. Also everyone on the show, I have a, a colleague and a friend of mine, Stephen Gardner. Stephen's helping me co-host tonight because of his deep understanding of language learning. Stephen, unlike me, is a voracious learner of languages. And he's particularly interested in how language learning might be enhanced using VR. So thanks, Stephen, for helping me host the show.
2: Thanks, Craig. Uh, It's wonderful to to be here. and, And I have an admission to make as well. Uh, I've secretly listened to all but one of your podcasts so you've got a fan uh, here as well
0: <laughs> awesome
2: so i'm not just, you- i'm not just excited about about language learning i also uh, am, am quite interested in in education as well so the VR in education and then of course language learning and language acquisition in this arena is just what i think is is fantastic so I'm really excited uh, to hear from michael and, and learn from him
0: Michael, everyone has their origin story when it comes to VR, you know, so how did you get interested in this medium or amazing communication device?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you're right. Many people have that kind of maybe turning point in their lives where they've uh, been given a VR headset by somebody, maybe a family member or something like that, or walking through a shopping center and they've tried it and and they've just been blown away by the by the the, the graphics the intensity the, the vivid nature of the experience but mine really was not from any of those uh, i didn't shoot any zombies and i didn't t- tour the world in something of like a google earth equivalent but I, I certainly um was drawn to it through looking for solutions to problems um i mean as you said to yourself at the introduction and um Stephen himself we can uh, listen more about his experiences but um learning languages teaching foreign languages you you're constantly going through a reflection, certainly wearing both of those hats of well, what can I do to improve the way that I teach languages and and also how can I help myself in learning a foreign language it's uh, foreign language so for me it was more about well, I need solutions to these problems because I can't always go to uh, or direct the students to the UK or Canada or America for example to help them and what is out there to to help them with that and and VR seemed like four or five years ago when Google cardboard came out um, the the natural next step really in, in that journey so for me it was Google cardboards it was uh, web based VR and six GoPro cameras taking some panoramic shots of London and putting them into a browser. Um, and showing it on the students' smartphones. That's where it all began for me.
0: Cool. Steve? Wow.
2: (laughs) I I think that's so exciting. I actually want to hear more about that. But um, I guess for me, to to begin, as a language teacher, what is your understanding, or or how would you explain the process that we learn language through? I mean, how does the brain... uh, learn new languages
1: and, and is that specifically to vr you're talking about there Stephen?
2: no just just in general i i think if we kind of set this uh groundwork this this basic understanding of how we acquire language and then we can maybe contrast a little bit what sure. traditionally is done in school compared to what's available with with what you're doing
1: yeah i mean um so I guess uh, before before we continue this conversation as well, um, I want to stress a little bit more about my background as well, just so people know kind of where I'm coming from uh, as well. So as I mentioned, I, I'm a, I studied German at university, uh, always kind of had a flair for languages and I was absolutely terrible anything science and maths based. Um, so maybe I was attracted to languages just as an escape from those uh, other subjects um, for my experience. But I'm um, um, uh, coming at it from someone that's really gone through the motions as a student and then later on as a teacher. Um, so I can't um, necessarily talk too much uh, regarding the research base for, or maybe the um, the, the evidence base for how people uh, scientifically would kind of learn foreign languages. But what I can certainly say, and it's interesting you ask that question, because only a few days ago, I think, Craig, you spoke about the collaborative nature or cooperative nature of learning, which is something we can touch upon later. And what I've seen certainly is through VR in particularly, is that it Provides a platform for people to collaborate and to cooperate and in engaging contexts. So, you know, um, in terms of the uh, research out there, we do know that when students work collaboratively together, irrespective of the facts of whether those peers are at more advanced or not in that particular area, we know that it does does help them to work towards solutions and solving problems. So, in terms of the collaborative nature of language learning, the research out there does say that uh, working together to solve problems, um, and particularly in the field. Of of task-based language learning, where they're working towards a goal as opposed to um, producing highly accurate grammatical phrases, we do know that um, that does uh, that, that collaborative learning does really have a place in the language learning uh, repertoire, let's say. So, I guess I could talk so it, a it, little.
2: It sounds like there's social elements, absolutely. and there's also this. Uh, I would say maybe uh, applicability. Like there's yes. immediate use of the language if you can see how it's helpful in in uh, achieving a task or accomplishing a goal. Sure. Plus a social element. You're saying that uh, maybe not even just language, but all learning is enhanced when when those those things are in place.
1: Absolutely. You know, language is fundamentally social, isn't it? And you know, the um, the the, the contexts in which people learn are so key as well because typically and i'm sure many of your listeners and uh, all of us have experienced this at some point you know learning a foreign language is something that you do with a book um you do over maybe an academic year 9 months september to june and you're expected to do it, to do an exam at the end maybe you've done 2 3 hours of classes per week that's the typical kind of structure um and there's nothing necessarily completely wrong with that there are certainly good things that that uh, can be taken out of that Um, And, you know, learning by rote, uh, vocabulary, building and stuff like that. I'm not, you know, um, necessarily saying that's a bad thing always, but it's important to consider that, yes, there are social elements. There are times when ultimately, whether it's in an exam or whether it's when you go and uh, study in a foreign country or work abroad, you will need to apply that language in context and practically. So then the question is, how do you make yourself understood? Um, so yes, so social element and interaction is absolutely key to all of this for sure.
0: Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Greg. Yeah. It's funny, Michael, you mentioned that because unlike Steve and I joked about this at the start of the podcast, uh, I'm, I'm the opposite of you, Mm. like science and math. That's my sort of wheelhouse. And I've found language learning quite difficult growing up in Canada, Mm. even on the West side, you know, we're, we're supposed to learn French and we try, but there's no context for it. Mm. You know, there's no, you know, reason to, to speak it. And I, I was never a big traveler with my parents. And so I just, I grew unconfident about learning languages. And then I met Steve, who was the other end of the spectrum. He was incredibly confident. Like we went to a school trip to China yeah. with the students and... Mm-hmm. You know, Steve kept encouraging me to to keep practicing in context on the trip, and and to use the language that's available to me. So,
2: yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I think a lot of the, the the social elements, and and just the fact that uh, it makes sense to use the language in a way, right? It's useful to you. You need it to accomplish a task. Uh, suddenly, it, it becomes relevant and your brain kind of latches on it, suddenly it's it's what you need to be focused on
1: yeah absolutely and yeah, like this is the this is the key thing because as an educator and um i'm constantly trying to think first and foremost how can i engage the students because um you know we we can apply um research or pedagogical structures or theory to the classroom and uh, i think that is a responsibility of Every edu- educator to try to understand a little bit, at least, about uh, the, the research behind what they're doing. But ultimately, it's, um, you know, when you're on the front line in the classroom, it's really comes down to how how can I engage the students first and foremost? And I appreciate there are many, many factors to this. You know, maybe there's poor discipline in the classroom. Maybe you don't have the leadership structure above you to support that, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, if we can engage students to be inspired by languages and maybe also understand a little bit more about their own language and how that's evolved, then that could potentially trickle into um other areas and paths that lead to a career in languages or something like that. And it's interesting that both of you have had maybe slightly different experiences. And um, Craig, I mean, you, you said that growing up in Canada, you kind of obviously knew that French was a part of uh, your culture. Um, is this, Was there something in particular you think maybe could have been done differently along your kind of childhood journey uh, without digging too deeply um, in terms of what might have inspired you to want to get your teeth more into foreign languages?
0: Mm, let me lay down on the couch and we can dissect this. <laughs> I, I think, I mean, you know, it's ironic that I'm in Singapore because uh, I grew up in a family, like I alluded to, where we, we, A, we didn't have the money to travel, but B, we didn't travel a lot just because it wasn't sort of in our ethos. So I wasn't exposed to people around me that had different languages. And so, and I'm thankful teaching now where I am, where, you know, it's a priority and it's a priority for my kids and to meet people also. But that's hard. Like, you know, spinning this to VR you know, this might be where VR comes in. Just think if we could fast forward my life, my love for technology, you know, I know I would have been in VR where I was back in Canada and that might've sparked me to learn through VR. Yeah, yeah. And
2: You know, I think that's a perfect segue, Craig, into your experience, Michael. You, you said that you actually created a VR Sort of platform to help enhance the language learning in in the classroom. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So you, you took um,
2: GoPros and and just did it yourself. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, amazing. we're going
1: back probably four, maybe five years or so ago now, and it's again, it's all about the the. The, I don't know, the creative streak I've got. I'm trying to kind of think out the box often about how to apply new methodologies to the way students learn. Because you, let's be honest, as a language teacher, if you're working in Italy, France, Germany or something and, you, and you're teaching English, you know that the students, aren't really going to be spending that much time outside of your class uh kind of getting so immersed in um in the foreign language that they're studying so there's this kind of elephant in the room often i think within language teaching or foreign language teaching that uh, you know that people ultimately know that he's a real uphill battle so again that's kind of the the um the the reasoning as to why I then went out and bought six GoPro cameras borrowed some money off my dad and promised him I'd pay him back and I have um, just to get that on record, and the uh, and with an oyster card on the bus, jumping around to different locations in London, going to people's shops, asking if I can take panoramic photos of uh, of their you know daily situations, their lives, um, stitch them together, those photographs in I think it was called Kr Pano, and um, learned some coding, and then on a web browser, just uh, or kind of on my website, just uh, hosting. The images on there and putting some hotspots interactive on there. So on your desktop or on your phone, you could click the number and you could hear the pronunciation of a particular uh, vocabulary item in that context. For example, it was a homeopathy store, and they were learning about uh, various uh, words in that environment. And then they could also press the uh, headset icon on the browser on their phone, turn it to landscape view, stereoscopic, put that in the Google Cardboard or similar headset, and, and away they were, and they could have this guided tour of that place so it was it was simple you know but it, it seemed to be effective and the students really kind of again we come back to that word inspired uh, stimulated engaged by something a little bit different other than the 2d content that they're traditionally used to using in the textbooks so that's how it all began
2: it just feels more immersive more
1: yeah uh, there's more context absolutely and you know it, it provides and this is the thing, like when we, c- we can, I guess, come months later, but the, the evolution of the hardware since that time has just been astronomical. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, it's not too far from my arm. Now I've got two Oculus Go's and an Oculus Quest. I'm very fortunate to be able to have those because I appreciate that despite the falling costs for people like us, um, you know, for most of the world, they, those are still very, very expensive. So that's another challenge to try to overcome. But um, yeah, the the immersion factor is exciting. It is engaging, and it's not. I'm not saying that you need to have this uh, technology for a sixty minute lesson. It is something just to give them a quick taste, something different, something new. Jump out of VR and then get the conversation going. What did you see? What would you do differently, etc. So, it's it's a stimulus, something more engaging in that sense.
0: Wow. So, Michael, Steve, and I in our talks have explored a few. VR language learning apps and one that uh, Steve actually sort of presented to me because I was the one sort of managing all the VR headsets at the school was, was Mondly. Yeah. You know, besides that one, or let's talk a bit about, I guess, commercial VR apps out there. Um, Are you, if you're familiar with Mondly, what are some of its benefits? And then the second question is besides that, what else, would you recommend to a teacher who might be listening to this, that is uh, trying to get into commercial apps and VR?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, so I have tried Monli. It, it was a while ago now and I think since then they've branched out and correct me if I'm wrong, more than 30 odd languages, maybe, maybe a few more. So, um, uh, yeah. Um, so you've got Monli, you've got uh, other ones like uh, play to speak as well. That's play number two and then speak, which has um it's kind of gamified experiences as well, uh, AI-driven characters. I think they possibly are integrating voice recognition tools within those experiences as well to take the learners on a, an engaging journey. Um, I think both of those, um, and again, maybe they've uh, particularly Mondly have evolved uh, a bit more or refined since I last tried them but they they seemed um quite uh and I don't want it to come across uh wrong but uh, maybe cartoonish you know is that kind of very much gamified uh, animated environment um I I didn't feel I don't feel sometimes with the applications that they feel so realistic um but then Does it need to be? You know, and that's the thing. This is new technology. Maybe uh, you know, there's there's not one app that I think is going to be that killer app, which is going to, and I don't think it's going to be the case anyway for the next decades or or forever. There's not going to be that one app, particularly for language learning, which is going to tick all of those boxes to tick the reading, the writing, the listening, the speaking. You know, the engagement factor, the preparation for the exams, the job interview, the studying abroad. This is going to be impossible. Um, So these apps absolutely do have a place if they inspire great. If they can uh, inspire to learn other languages, then that's wonderful as well. But um, so commercial apps, Mondly, as you said, Play to Speak, um, trying to think of some others out there. There's also Virtual Speech. I think they are uh, creating courses, if I remember rightly. Again, yes, for job interview training and some other things. So um, that is cutting across other areas as well, not just specifically language learning, but actually making sure that you apply the language to a very particular context, like getting a job as well. So that's an interesting direction we're seeing things evolve in as well.
0: You know, one thing that struck me when you spoke was uh, the idea of the pressure of getting kids ready for exams, because I get that too. So I I do some consulting work with schools and, and, you know, one district that speaks out to me was a district in the United States, and they wanted me to talk to them about VR and they wanted to implement VR. But the question was, do you have research or can you prove to me that if we buy VR, our exam scores are going to go up? Do you have that pressure with your company? Is that is that a real pressure with the clients that you work with?
1: It is. Um, strangely enough, the first question is, well, how can we get the headsets uh, because or the, the hardware because it, that that is another barrier, and actually, um, that that concerns me a little bit because. Um, you, you uh, What I'm seeing is that there's such an excitement when you walk into a school and maybe demonstrate the technology. They're like, wow, okay, we can we can see that this has huge potential. Um, and I'm not necessarily referring to one particular app here. You know, I'm talking about showing them a smorgasbord, a variety of applications that could fit into their curriculum. But obviously, I'm coming at it from a language learning angle as well, but um, they, they're... It's slightly concerning because I, I don't always think the schools necessarily, from what I'm seeing, are thinking that far ahead. Um, I think they're, they're trying, they're thinking about engaging the students, yes, which is great, but. Uh, it's nice to know that there are some schools out there that are, you know, concretely trying to think, okay, well, how will we re- uh, integrate this fully into the curriculum? How will we justify to the parents after nine months of them using tools in VR that there has been a measurable benefit in the students' learning or achievement? So, um, you know, I, I can't really fully answer that question at the moment, but the fact is, as I said before, with the commercial apps, there's nothing out there at the moment which is maybe fully aligned to a full textbook. I've not seen that for example that would be interesting to see one of the big exams in the world like the IELTS examination which people need to study in order to get to university for example in uh, in the UK or abroad they uh, I don't know if there's a, an app out there which is aligned to a course book but but that that would mm. be wonderful well,
0: it's, it's funny and Steve knows my answer to this my answer usually quickly is VR isn't to get kids ready for tests mm. VR has a, a bigger purpose and that is you know big ideas conceptual understanding etc
2: you mean like real learning
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah god forbid no the yeah the, the the real learning i mean that that's that's that ultimately is if this is going to be a, a viable medium through which to educate the students and um maybe it isn't you know that's the thing as well i'm sorry if i'm kind of segwaying too into too many different directions, but it all kind of funnels into this point of okay well we, we we know that vr seems to be working at this point um i've not yet integrate it fully within a curriculum over a year or two academic years to really see those benefits because the technology is so new however maybe we might get to that point and realize that actually it doesn't really work in a particular context however from the stimulation factor the engagement it has measurable benefits there so we're, we're all very much on this learning curve um and uh you know the schools i think if they can find the budgets to buy it even three, four, five headsets, get the students working together as as I'm trying to get them to do out here in Italy. You know, I think that we will see some interesting uh, developments come out in terms of how students learn not only languages, but also just build their own social skills as well and communicative capabilities.
0: So a typical teacher face-to-face, they're going to deliver their lessons. So that might, you know, that might be, they introduce the kids to something exciting. It could be like a YouTube clip, catch their interest. Then they're going to have things like guided practice. You know, here's some of the content you need to know, you know, l- repeat after me. Mm-hmm. And then they might do some independent practice. That's a sort of standard lesson that we learn in education. Yeah. How, how does that look in
1: VR for you? It's it, it can be the same, and I had a conversation very recently with someone about you know reading. I mean, reading is part of the uh, the skills required for for young students in particular to build those key skills in understanding how to pronounce certain words, etc. That that's key, and that's part of what you just spoke about there. But um, but the thing is, is that you how does that look in VR? Well, that, that's not necessarily saying that in VR, you read uh, kind of a 2D text. It, it could be some kind of swirling graphic where you are absorbing the vocabulary in a context. You've got the sounds as well to maybe match with what you're reading. And so the whole, um, let's say, paradigm of reading and any other area of learning is is something which is a whole new kind of ball game when VR is concerned. But in terms of my personal experiences and how I use VR, um, it's for example in the in the classes with whom I collaborate here in Italy we have students working in pairs, for example, so it's not always about getting everybody, like we saw with that famous Mark Zuckerberg photo, I think from a few years ago with Facebook, where he's walking past the rows of people at the Congress and they've all got the, uh, the headset on. It's not necessarily saying that that is what it looks like in a school when we're talking about VR. It could be just having small groups with one headset, um, planning activities whereby one of them uh, looks at a particular scene or immerses themselves in a, uh, themselves in a location abroad, uh, which they ordinarily couldn't get to, which already is quite a magical experience. And then they pass the headset on to the other student and they communicate maybe some things that they saw, what they see differently, can you, and, and the colors, the shapes, the sizes, et cetera. So that's maybe a more practical, simple example of how that might fit into the traditional classroom setting. And Stephen, um, can I just ask you as well, because both of you actually are from So are you from Canada as well, Stephen? Uh, I'm not. I, okay. I'm from, from the States. Uh, but you're both in a foreign country, aren't you? You're, you're out there in Singapore. Yeah. Talk to me about the language. I mean, because um, I'm interested to know as well, like uh, you know, how it is for, for you guys to be uh, living and working out there and uh, in terms of the language. And uh, I mean, obviously, Singapore is uh, famous for being very multicultural and I guess you can find English everywhere. But um, are there foreign languages that you're exposed to out there?
2: Yeah, Craig's, Craig's been here Go a little ahead. bit longer than uh, I have. I've been here uh, about eight months now. Hmm. Um, and I came from mainland China, uh, where I was the previous three years. Uh, there is a tremendous diversity of language in Singapore. Um, there are four official languages, but uh, it's difficult for everyone to learn four languages and to truly be quadrilingual. So everyone, the, the first language is, is English, and then uh, Singaporean citizens actually have built into the education system, they have second language courses that are very intensive that are designed to reinforce their mother or their heritage language. So uh, students will learn, you know, Farsi or Tamil or, or Mandarin, um, or I, I'm not positive, but I believe there are even some dialects like Fujianese and other Chinese dialects that might even be possible. Certainly there's a lot of, uh, of dialects that are not Mandarin that are, that are spoken here. Um, And if you get on the subway, you'll see signs in four languages. You'll hear announcements in in three to four languages. Uh, But everyone, everyone communicates in English. uh, And then, you know, like, like many places, if you decide to create a environment for yourself you can create context that that is that does support language learning Um, but if you want to get by in English you'll have no problem doing that for your entire life I I can easily see people being born here and dying here without learning any language other than English it's so easy to get around
1: yeah and it's that context there that the c word which is so fundamental as well because we spoke at the top of the program about what are the problems and that was kind of my motivating factor for experimenting with this technology but but when we talk about context as well which is so key for for a language learner it's, it's very very difficult when you're in a classroom halfway around the world uh, learning a language that is spoken thousands of miles away uh, in the streets, and you don't get that exposure to to bring students closer to the world and when you might use particular expressions or grammatical items or vocabulary, etc. So uh, the, the the virtual reality experience is out there and they don't necessarily need to be these commercial apps. Um, there are no excuses. You know, if people are saying, well, that doesn't really answer my uh, kind of questions with, from a learning perspective. Well, there are millions out there, not, not millions, I'm exaggerating, but there are thousands of apps out there which can certainly immerse students in different contexts. And one of the examples that I've been using recently or last year and a half or so is Rumi uh, Engage as well. And you've got Mozilla Hubs. These are platforms that people can jump into in VR, in real time, remotely. And uh, construct the world that they want around them. So for a teacher that offers huge potential to have a, a shop, a cafe, a bar, a restaurant, for example, a train station, and get the students jumping on a London Underground train or entering a cafe and beginning to understand a bit more about the language you would use in that context. Uh, but without the pressure of actually being there, which is obviously, and <laughs> commonly one of the, the big goal, uh, the big problems that people have, of the fear, the anxiety of not being able to order that Coca-Cola or that train ticket um, and you'll end up in a far-flung town that you never expected to go to. So, uh, yeah, that, that context is it's a key point there. You're, you're absolutely right. Well, Steve talked
0: about this too. You know, when him and I, uh, the other backstory with Steve was uh, he was a missionary who had to travel to different countries and uh, he, he basically was plopped into a country mm-hmm. and it was up to him to learn that language. And he said, repetition Situational repetition, repetition sorry was so important. He'd have a conversation with someone, and then he would have it again with a different person. So, Steve, can you talk about that and how VR is so amazing that way? Well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm
2: fascinated about uh, what you're what you're saying about Rumi uh, and the potential for this because my experience in learning language, you know, children. Uh, I, I think children and adults again, like you, I don't have the, uh, research background, but a lot of personal experience and, and a fair amount of, of reading in the field. It seems like there are a lot more that children and adults have in common as far as language acquisition is concerned than, than otherwise. And and adults, uh, are probably faster language learners than children. It's just that we don't stay committed to it. Uh, we don't stay engaged with it. So if you watch a child, um, and, and you watch how they develop, they'll, they'll make mistakes all the time, but they depend on that word, that communication tool to get what they want. And then they continue absorb, uh, observing, they continue learning, they continue developing their, their language over time. And, and they continue to receive constant positive reinforcement for their development. They're never, uh, embarrassed that they can't remember the word that they were just using yesterday, the last time they practiced this, right? They, they, they'll do it 20 times or a hundred times over and over again. And when I was um, a missionary, I would start the same conversation over and over and over again with adults and had a very similar experience to, to children. I never had to worry about Uh, you know, finding the same partner and pretending to role play. And then I can't remember that word, I can't remember that phrase, and then feeling like I'm stupid or whatever else, there was none of that, because this is a new audience, right? I've got a new person in front of me. And that new person is engaging me in the same conversation that I just practiced an hour ago or yesterday. And so I can build on what I had been practicing. uh, And, and it just, it, it allows for this, this language acquisition kind of supercharge where, where you, you really don't, you let go of all of the struggle that happens when you try to role play and, and you have all of the benefits because you're communicating in order to accomplish an objective, right? You want to communicate with this person, you're using language to do that. And, uh, as I, as I think through the potential applications within VR, wouldn't it be amazing if, I could switch avatars or I could switch people and, and redo this experience or even use the same avatar. But I don't feel uh, embarrassed that I'm, I'm working with the same adult over and over again, repeating the same phrases. Now I can continue doing that, knowing that I'm getting more and more confident every time I re-engage in this, uh, in this kind of role play, but do it virtually. So there's, there's no risk involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And that that kind of um, that contrast between how children and adults learn is um, maybe one of the great things that at the moment is um, what we're seeing is that the avatars that people embody in places like Rumi or other VR platforms, um, they they don't, look like you so much, you know, you can bring in, I think, on the Engage platform, uh, your photograph, and they'll kind of mask it to the avatar's face. But generally, you feel kind of like that you are that person, but you are not at the same time. And um, I think from, from a language learning perspective, that really is quite liberating, because you don't have to necessarily worry about um, always looking people in the eye directly, which is a key aspect, maybe of uh, you know effective communication, um, particularly maybe in exams or job interviews, where you have to be or appear confident, even if you're not really confident. And I've got a recruitment background, and, and I, I know kind of how important that is. And I think VR at the moment is maybe a, a nice point where it isn't so realistic that you feel like, oh my god, even in these collaborative virtual environments, that they are seeing the sweat drip from my forehead, you know, because I'm really nervous. Um, It's it's not at that point yet. So um, maybe it it won't really get to the point in the future where language learners need such highly realistic environments. They just need something to make them that step closer. Um, But you spoke about role-playing there as well. And, uh, you know, task-based language learning, TBLT, is an interesting kind of area of uh, pedagogy, which focuses on meaning as opposed, mostly on meaning, as opposed to necessarily uh, the form factor. So as long as you can make yourself understood in a particular context which is kind of related to real world activities. You've kind of achieved the goal. And I think that's really where VR can dovetail very nicely into language learning is It provides those contexts, as we said before, but it also gets people working together on a particular goal using props and situations that ordinarily wouldn't be possible in the real world. Because if I kind of imagine what is the, I don't know, the the perfect situation for me to learn a language, a foreign language in the physical world, well, I kind of imagine a situation where I step off the plane in Lisbon if I want to learn Portuguese and somebody meets me at the bottom of the the steps of the plane and they hold my hand uh, figuratively walking around the airport saying, this is the bar in Portugal. Portuguese, and there are the toilets on the left, and there's the car passing the, the main entrance, etc. I, I want that kind of uh, that, that combination of someone guiding me, but also me being immersed in the situation in the real world at the same time. And you can't do that, obviously, physically in the real world, but you can do that in VR at very low cost. Um, and that's um, another factor to, to consider as well. So the future's bright for sure.
2: And, and you're talking about a low cost psychologically. And a low cost uh, economically, right? Yep. I mean, we can travel, but we also there, there's the reduced social risk of trying to practice in a new language. Uh, if you're doing it electronically with an avatar, or you're doing it, you know, in VR, you can practice 20 times until you are confident, and there's there's no, you know, kind of social shaming or anything else that you, it's taking you so long. You can take what, whatever time it takes and, and develop those synapses in your brain. Once the connections are formed, you, you reinforce them, and by the time you're doing it in the real world, those connections are strong, and, and you can easily, you know, develop that that part of of the brain.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, sorry, Craig, go ahead.
0: No, you go ahead. I think. I, uh... You go ahead first.
1: Thanks. Yes, slight delay here. Um, um, The the one other final point as well that I want to make that is really kind of uh, important that Stephen mentioned is um – that other people, again, out there might be uh, trying to consider or grapple with because I think that's, again, one of the great things about your podcast, uh, Craig, and, uh, and other kind of um, podcasts out there as well is that it just gets the conversation going at this you know this early stage of the new technology. It's not necessarily that we have the answers and it's not necessarily that we evangelise always about the virtual reality capabilities, but it's about working together to understand you know, how to use this in the best possible way for the benefit of the students. And And one of the kind of interesting things that I personally have been through is that I effectively, for the last eight or nine years on or off have lived in a virtual reality in the sense that um, I'm in a relationship with someone that doesn't speak English natively um, and uh, living in a foreign country. And I'm I'm basically, um, how can I put it? Politely, I'm almost like the child of my partner, if you get what I mean. It's like that I've grown up in the last eight, nine years, just copying what she and her family and other people in this environment around me say, like a child would do. And um, I've not had at any point that kind of structured approach of textbook and let's learn now vocabulary about sport in Italian. So it's, um, I've learned the language. Uh, in situ and just survival and um that's where vr can really support people but but then the question is well i've i've built my speaking skills but I, I can't write to save my life in italian like there's mistakes everywhere so i don't think that vr at this point can offer me with as an educator therefore um kind of uh, many Much many benefits, much value from a writing perspective. I personally am still trying to get my head around what that would look like in the classroom because I can see great benefits for speaking, the confidence and engagement factors, also for listening skills as well, and potentially reading there's some interesting apps out there as well. Um, But writing, I'm interested to know what you guys think because I'm still trying to work my – get my head around that.
2: I I will say – uh, immediately my mind when it, you think of writing my mind goes to Japanese kanji or, or Chinese characters and VR would be a phenomenal way okay. to to really embody I mean to use your whole arm to, to do the brush strokes sure. um, I think that there would be a lot more kind of connectivity and, and whole body I guess immersive experience in, in writing the characters uh, but writing in in these Asian languages, I I mean these Asian languages, the character based uh, languages, it takes hours and I mean thousands of hours for native speakers to learn to write, um, and so non-native speakers need to take thousands of hours as well. Um, but VR would be a, a, a fun way to uh, to introduce that or to reinforce that. Uh, so. Anyway, maybe not. Obviously, every language has its own little, uh, little unique elements, but certainly VR could be applicable in some ways for writing.
0: Hey, Michael, let's say there's a language teacher out there that's going to listen to this, you know, based on probably my 20-some listeners, Steve being one of them. Um, how do they get started? Besides the hardware, which I try not to emphasize on this podcast, you know, let's say they do have the hardware.
1: W- where do they go from there? Um, well, if I can take the liberty of saying a step before that, uh, Craig, if if they don't have the hardware, I know you said you don't want to emphasize that, and I'm about to emphasize that. I know it's your podcast. Feel free to kick me off, but um, I- I'll dedicate literally 20 seconds to this. If they don't have the hardware, then there are still, you know, there there there's uh, no worry because you can with a smartphone access. Uh, some content, for example, um, Sketchfab is one. Uh, there are some three D libraries. You can begin to take that first step into uh, looking at content in different way three D. Uh, kind of uh, models, props that you can take into the classroom. Okay, that that could be a good first step. But let's imagine then th- you do get the hardware. You have an Oculus Go or a Quest or a HEC uh, headset, for example. You, um, you, you just want to, uh, I guess, come back to the the basic question, which is what is the problem? Uh, it, it really depends on the context. Um, you know, I, I guess it's true to say that generally most language learners want to feel like they are hearing or speaking the language within a context. So. Why not getting that one headset? If that's all you can afford, that's all you get. Get the small groups, students describing what they can see, um, uh, and as if like they are explaining a past holiday trip, for example. Which again is key for the exams. So there, you're dovetailing it and demonstrating to the powers that be that this has, you know, a kind of uh, a, a good. Uh, connection to the school program as well. So I think bear in mind the school program, the curriculum, the context, and the needs of the students and have a look at the libraries. The apps are out there. Just see which one fits best your needs.
0: Wow, good answer. Um, Steve, anything else that you would like to ask Michael before we wrap up? Oh, I,
2: I think we've had a fantastic conversation. I, I just thank you both for inviting me and, and
1: allowing me to participate. No, thank you too as well. Thank you.
0: Michael, how could people get a hold of you if they have more questions or just want to shoot you a hello?
1: Um, Twitter at Gold Lotus Co. Website www.goldlotus.co. Email contact at goldlotus.co. And I think that's it. You won't be getting.